0: episode 29 of DevTalk, I speak to Isaac Abram about functional programming using F-Sharp. Welcome to another episode of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop and today's guest is Isaac Abram. Isaac is an F-Sharp developer from Fulda, Germany, originally from the UK, and I'm very happy to have him on the show today. Hello, Isaac.
1: Hi, Kerry. Great to be here.
0: Thank you for being my guest. We have not met in person yet. I, I hope that's about to change in uh, two months' time. But can you tell us a little bit about yourself, or or tell me? <laughs> sure, sure. So, um, so I'm I'm the founder of um,
1: a small uh, training and software consultancy called Compositional IT, um, based in the UK, um, and we specialize in um, F# and Azure consultancy and and development. Um, and our vision, really, as a company, is um, what I call uh, functional programming for everyday software. So, like, mm-hmm. we're big believers in like the idea that um, functional programming isn't something for like uh, just for for maths and science or, or difficult problems, but just for everyday software, line of business apps, um, anything that we do in, in, in other languages. Um, personally, I've been like using .NET since uh, .NET 1.0, so right since uh, the, the very start. Which makes me feel a bit older, actually, than than, than I really think <laughs> I am. Um, but uh, primarily, I was like using C sharp for, for many years. I've only been using F sharp for uh, the last few years, really. Um, but I've worked like software development, um, consultants, contracting for, for years in the UK. Um, and I've got a book out called "Get Programming with F Sharp," which is like designed for 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 NET developers. You know, people that maybe know OO, they know C sharp, and they've heard of this thing called F sharp, but I'm um, not really too sure about how to get into it. And it's kind of a a practical, pragmatic guide to using it. Um, And yeah, as as you alluded to before, um, I'm Microsoft MVP. So probably that's where we'll have a chance to meet up uh, in a couple of months, hopefully.
0: Right, well, that's that's really nice uh, about your book. And uh, I will link to that in the show notes. Um, When I first heard about functional programming, I was expecting something different. Because functional programming sounded to me like writing C um like uh, everything without classes and just writing functions um but that's not really what it's about is it
1: um not really no but uh i guess it's um functional programming to me is really about two things um if you really break it down to like it, it's it's fundamentals to to me anyway um, I guess if you ask people what is object oriented programming, everyone will give you a different answer as well. So so what I say now, some people may, may, may have it differently, or if you look on Wikipedia, it may be different. But to me, it's about two things. One is um, working with what we call immutable data, which means that once you create a value, you can never change it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing is about working with expressions rather than statements. So that's like if you're coming from a, a C-sharp background or a Java background, it means like you can't have a method that returns void. Everything you do has some sort of output, some return value that you work with. And, and those two things are like the, the core fundamentals to me of, of, of doing functional programming, which seems a bit kind of abstract, but um, those are kind of the basics. Um, in in f like you can do classes and you can create objects. But again, it's primarily with with immutable data and um, and expressions rather than statements.
0: Okay, well, those two things sound like the opposite of C, where I can see everything as a pointer and everything changes, and we all share memory and um, and also uh, the the void methods. That's that's something you see all the time because it, it will modify data. That's uh, omnipresent, and um, yeah. <laughs> So in, in theory, I, I've heard it compared to like writing a complex Excel spreadsheet. Is, is that like a good analogy?
1: I guess, yeah, there are some similarities. Like if you think of Excel when you're doing formulas um, mm-hmm. in, in cells, they're always, um, you know, you're getting a value from another cell and you're then returning some value that's going to be what's in the current cell. And then maybe you have another cell that relates to that cell and so on and so forth. And that's kind of the similarity that you're not working with like, I'm gonna change a value in a cell and then later on change that value again. It's, you have almost like a pipeline of data going from cell A to B to C to D. And um, maybe
0: the the interesting part is that you're not telling Excel in which order to solve these uh, problems or the, these these little expressions. Uh, it'll do that by itself, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And um, I think in, in functional programming, and certainly in, in F sharp, it makes it um, it's kind of clear in terms of the flow of data, and it's got this whole notion of um, pipelines of data where you, data flows uh, in a sort of a natural, um, easy to read, hopefully um, sort of pattern where you can see naturally how data goes from A to B to C and to D. Um, and because of the nature of this, this idea that you have immutable data, it kind of makes it a bit easier that you don't have to worry about, um, you know, I remember days of when I was doing C-sharp where you, you know, having like global variables or or, or having variables that anyone can get to is, you know, uh, pretty dangerous because anyone can change it. Once you sort of move to immutable data, it doesn't really matter too much um, that you expose this because it's all read-only. So it kind of changes some of the, the, the fundamentals about, what you're concerned about and, and what you're not so worried about anymore
0: and that was also one answer to what I was going to ask next that is why if I'm coming from a, like a c-sharp background maybe why would I be interested in this what what is the advantage of looking at things a different way
1: okay so maybe the best way for me to answer this is um, for me to talk about my own personal experience given that I was doing c-sharp for maybe 15 years um, mm-hmm. and why I made the move to, to F-sharp and, and so on. So um, I, I think I went through probably a, uh, a kind of an evolution or a yeah, transition of, of different ways of writing in C-sharp that I think many developers go through. So when I first like started doing C-sharp, I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, I sort of studied some stuff at uni about object orientation, and I had this sort of notion in my head about, you know, um, dog inherits from animal which inherits from you know entity or something and, mm-hmm. and and none of that really related to the real world when i started working for for, for customers and you know for, for organizations um and then i got a few books like uh code complete and um i learned about things like solid and you know the whole design pattern stuff and they gave me some sort of context in which to to try and solve problems in a in a sane manner and a kind of a repeatable way that I could talk to other people about which was pretty good um, and then I learned about things like, like I said the solid and tdd so that's test driven development and um, i think a lot of those sort of patterns and practices helped make my code more um, more maintainable and perhaps more more fail safe you know i didn't get as many bugs and i felt a bit happier that when i did a release i wasn't really nervous or as nervous that I was going to have, um, you know, bugs coming back 10 minutes later from the customer. But there was a lot of rigor involved and a lot of patterns, you know, with test-driven development, or if it's with design patterns, you have to learn them all, and it's a lot of effort and so on. And it seemed to be, particularly if you're working in teams of, of, of a number of developers, there's a lot of um, a lot of work to make sure that everyone does things in the same way and in the right way. Um, there's a kind of a, a phrase that's going around called the pit of success. And that sort of um, means, like, how easy is it to do the right thing and how easy is it to do the, the wrong thing? Um, the kind of a example might be if you're a team lead on a project and you put in place a few um, sort of patterns, you know, everyone should do things like this and they shouldn't do things like that. And then you come back from holiday and everyone has done things the, the wrong way. But it's not because they've been deliberately evil. It's just because there's no pit of success. It's difficult to to know when you're doing the right thing and when you're doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me, when I started looking at F-sharp, um, a lot of the things that I was having to put in place with a lot of patterns and a lot of rigor and, and code reviews, they were almost enforced by the language or, or at least made easier to do the right thing. So the last project I did in, in C-sharp was working on a big rules engine. We had like 10 developers. We were working for an investment bank. And um, a lot of the things we ended up trying to do were, were like um, we were working, trying to work with immutable data. We started with like a huge class hierarchy, and it really quickly became evident that we couldn't reuse code because we had bits of code on one branch of the hierarchy, and then we wanted to use it with another part on the other branch, and you can't do multiple inheritance and and all those sorts of things. And we ended up almost with just um, bits of code that we composed together without using inheritance and trying to do it with interfaces and things like that okay and um, ultimately when I, when I started looking at f sharp I was like hang on a minute all these things that I'm trying to do in c-sharp um, these kind of patterns and and this easy nature of composition they're almost like um a first-class citizen in in the language that that to be fair c sharp is, is a great language but some of the things that FSharp gave you or gave me at the time, we just couldn't get naturally in 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 CSharp, um, and so I think that was really where it, um, where the sort of initial thing happened. I mean, I, I needed to try it three times until I actually got F-sharp because the documentation was really poor at the time. This was like 2010, 2011. Um, there were no decent books or very few out there. Uh, the tooling was really poor. But I sort of stuck with it. Every night I spent like 20 minutes, half an hour until I felt comfortable enough to do some, some F-sharp in it. And then when I, I I sort of, as a hobby, I tried to re-implement what we'd done in C-sharp and F-sharp. And it was a much more natural sort of fit for what I'd tried to do. Um, and we had a much cleaner separation of concerns. So for me, that was like, okay, uh, it seems like the right thing to do. The next challenge for me was finding a good opportunity to do it on a day-to-day basis.
0: mm mm-hmm. And you, th- that sounds like you, you took things into your own hands and uh, founded your own company. Or, or what, Are there any employers, uh, like in Germany, for example, who offer that?
1: Uh, there are a few consultancies I know of that do F-Sharp and um, a couple of, of large companies um, that, that are using F-Sharp. Um, there's, definitely, there's one actually in Frankfurt. I'm not sure I can actually give the name up, but mm-hmm. there are certainly some large companies using F-Sharp. Um, in in Germany, but yeah, it's it's nowhere near as um, prevalent as C sharp. But um, I think that most companies that that are using it, um, typically from what I'm seeing, they're either coming from .NET backgrounds, or sometimes they're people that have come from Python or or maybe some sort of data sciencey languages, and they've naturally almost transitioned from from Python or R into F sharp as well, um, which is kind of a different route into to, to F sharp, I think.
0: And are they in particular industries or just just all different types?
1: From what I've seen, um, all different types. I mean, there are a couple mm-hmm. of consultancies that I know of that are you know, essentially doing similar work to us. They're, they're, they're doing outsource development services and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're looking at F-Sharp and, and they're doing it in F-Sharp. In fact, there's one that um, they're doing Xamarin development, which I know is something that you're very fond of Um right, sure. Yeah. So um, there's actually a, a really interesting project on Xamarin called Fabulous which is actually um, being developed by Microsoft. And it's uh, kind of an F-sharp library on top of Xamarin that um, uses a very different pattern for UI called uh, MVU. So you know you've got things like MVVM and uh, MVC and so on. So there's a really nice pattern that's made its way into Xamarin where you can write these functional web applica- uh, functional mobile applications um, in F-sharp, but also do them on mobile devices and, and works just
0: beautifully in Xamarin. But we've talked about Fabulous on the podcast before with Mark Ellibone And I was going to ask you if you know Without Mark. speaking about what's underneath, like we, did, we didn't really dive into what F-Sharp is actually. And and But when Xamarin, I remember when Xamarin announced they were introducing F-Sharp support, that was like maybe well at least over five years ago. And that, that was the point where I thought maybe this is something more serious because at the time it seemed like very academic. Yep. And there were other languages that had like the sharp in the end that never made it, it to, to become really popular, like J sharp or things like that. So I, I, I'm I still intrigued by, but, but, but still very hesitant, hesitant to step into this new technology because I don't know what to expect, and I don't know how much, how applicable it would be to my everyday
1: work. Let me try and answer some of those questions um, hmm. and, point, and and then probably we we'll have a bit of a discussion on that. So, I mean, part of the reason I think why that, that sort of um, feeling that F-sharp is either somehow academic or science-y, uh, math-y is maybe part of that is due to the origins of the language and that it came out of Microsoft Research in Cambridge. Um, so, it's not like something that's come from Microsoft directly originally. It was a research project, and then became part of the the main um, Visual Studio and, and .NET sort of tool chain and, and packaging mm-hmm. later on. Um, but I, I suspect—I don't know this for sure—but I know, um, or I, I think at the start they needed a way to differentiate it from from C sharp, and so it did originally start. I think with a lot of um, mathematical or scientific sort of examples and applications. Um, And a lot of the code samples were kind of abstract and obtuse, and they didn't really appeal to me um, personally when I started looking at it. And there was this sort of mantra at the start, like the the buzzword was um, F-Sharp is great for solving complex problems with simple code, Um, which sounds great. But then people almost implicitly assumed, well, that must mean it's only useful for complex problems. Mm -hmm. And then you have the question, well, what is a complex problem? What is a hard problem? Well, I guess my my stuff isn't, you know, what I'm doing on today is probably not hard enough to justify the cost of F-sharp, so I'll just stick with what I'm doing sort of thing. But but the reality is I think that's probably hurting the language more than anything now because it's, it's just you can solve complex problems with simple code and you can use it to solve simple problems with really simple code as opposed to it being this kind of zero sum game where you can only do hard problems with it. I mean, for me, I'll give you an example. So we're doing web applications with, with F-sharp that run on ASP.NET and cross-compile to JavaScript on the client side. Um, we're doing business, uh, we're doing a console applications um, that sort of run data transformation. So one of our customers, um, we basically have a system that takes a load of Excel spreadsheets and uh, reads data from access, does a load of calculations, and spits out some more Excel spreadsheets. So it's like nothing crazy. Um, we have other ones that are doing work with SQL and yeah, ASP.NET Core, Windows Services, uh, running in Azure. It's, at the end of the day, it's just .NET. So it's just MSIL at the end of the day. There's nothing too um, different in that. It's simply the way that we orchestrate calls to .NET and, and ASP.NET and things that are slightly different.
0: Yeah, so you said it's just MSIL, so it gets compiled from whatever language you're writing into a common language that, uh, for example, if if we're seeing now more and more functional features being added to C Sharp, and they don't change the runtime underneath, or at least for a while they hadn't changed it, like uh, C Sharp, uh, .NET 4 was it was stuck on that version for like 10 years. And you see all these new features pop up, and that's just because it, it's just language syntax that gets converted into what that that common denominator that exactly language underneath. Exactly right. Um, so C
1: sharp and F sharp at the end of the day, they both compile down to, to the same language, if you will, um, IL, and they both run on top of .NET Core. In that regard, they're kind of you know first cousins, really. Um, mm-hmm. And you can you can call F sharp from C sharp, and you can call C sharp from F sharp. And if you think about it, um, F-sharp runs on top of the .NET and it runs on top of the BCL. So it needs to be able to talk to C-sharp because you've got the whole .NET framework, which is written in C-sharp. Mm-hmm. And so from F-sharp, you can call all of the same features, the, the, the same functions and the same methods and the same classes as you can from C-sharp. So I can just as easily in F-sharp do system console right line, hello world. Um, so all of those things are there. It's just the way that you interact with them um, is is a little different, really,
0: and the the languages are pretty different in, initially, right? Uh, so, so, like, there are things, for example, the nullability of um, of values. I think there's like no null concept in F Sharp, or or is it just for interacting with other code that's not F Sharp?
1: Yeah, that's right. So, um, in F Sharp, you've got this kind of um, it's almost like two languages, and it's quite clear the separation. You basically have like the the functional side of F Sharp, mm-hmm. which is um, things like records and tuples and functions and modules, and then you also have the the, the object oriented side of it, which is is sometimes useful, but often it's really only needed for interop with with C Sharp code. So you can do classes, you can do inheritance, you can do virtual methods, you know, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, And if you're just running pure F-sharp code, if you're not interacting with with C-sharp code, it's very, very, very difficult to get a null reference exception because you can't um, assign null to a record or a union or a tuple. Uh, The compiler literally doesn't let you do it. But if you're interacting with C-sharp, then you can get a null value in from C-sharp. And then you have to sort of marshal if you want to be type safe and say, well, if this is null, then I'll, I'll give back what's called none. And if there's a value, then I'll wrap it in what's called sum. So I might have um, some string, or I'll have nothing. And the compiler will then make me. Uh, it won't just allow me to to dot into a value that it knows might be null. Mm-hmm. It'll actually force me to check. Well, hang on a minute. You've you, we know that this value might be null, or it might not be. You have to match on the two cases and handle them differently. Okay. So it it kind of forces you to address those those corner cases that often you just will ignore in in in, in C sharp. And then maybe get a runtime error later it'll bring that a bit more to the front
0: right so it's similar to like the the non-nullability feature that came with c sharp 8 where uh, you you can just turn that on and then you can decide per uh, per element if, if it should be nullable or not nullable but if you say it's non nullable then you're gonna have to check or or handle the case where uh, you no know, if you say it's it, it is nullable then you're going to have to check uh, is exactly. it really null or not yeah that's
1: exactly right um it the way it works is is a little bit different like f sharp um c sharp rather has things like a flow control so it will flow analysis so it'll see if you've done an if check on a value earlier on in 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 a method it will know mm-hmm. oh we've already checked it's null therefore it can't be here f sharp is a bit simpler and, and a bit more consistent in that regard in that it will just if you say this type is nullable it is nullable then you have to check for it and if you say it's non nullable then it can never be and, and and it's as simple as that so um it's it's not quite as um complex i think as the way that that the c sharp um, nullability check works but i think that's partly that's because of just the fact that the C# nullability checking has come in, you know, version eight, and you've got this whole set of code, you know, that, that's almost being uh, having to be ported across, and so these these things like flow analysis probably makes it a bit easier to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. So you said you're writing user interfaces also with F#?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we've um, we're doing WPF apps, we're doing uh, web applications on top of React. Um, and using style sheets and stuff, absolutely. So um, I guess you've got a few ways of doing it. One, you can write like you know WPF apps, so you write your XAML, and then you do a model behind the the XAML form, and and you do things like I notify property changed and so on. And you can absolutely do that, but it's not the most um, it's not the most uh, F sharp friendly way of doing things because it's using things like mutable data and and, and so on. And it's probably worth mentioning at this point. Um, just going back onto what I said before, like F-sharp lets you do mutable data, but you have to jump through some hoops when you're doing it. You have to like put in extra keywords. So you can almost think of it like if you're doing C-sharp and you want to do immutable data, you have to put like read-only and const and things like that everywhere. Mm -hmm. And with F-sharp, it's the other way around. If you want to do immutable data, you get that for free. And if you want to do mutable data, you have to put in extra keywords like the word mutable everywhere. So when you see like MVVM, you know that's um, a design pattern for working with with WPF and and um, yeah, rest in peace now Silverlight. <laughs> um, but those things were like um, you know you had a class with um, some fields on it and you implemented you know I notify property changed and you, you mutated these properties and stuff. So you can do that with F Sharp, but it's not a really idiomatic experience. It feels a bit like you're you're forcing it into the language um, to. to to, to cater for this. So there's like, um, I mentioned before, Fabulous. So there's an equivalent of that for WPF as well, mm-hmm. where you can write these applications in this functional style, um, and it will sort of map between that and and um, the, the mutable WPF view behind the scenes. And you don't have to sort of do that. Well, MVM
0: is all about changes, right? Like you exactly. have this model and the user interface will know when it's changed. And when the user interface Changes something, then your your view model changes, and that will change the model again, and it's, it's all that, that that's what the whole thing is about. And, and uh, so MVU works in a way that you have an immutable model, and this just gets displayed.
1: So you have yeah exactly. You basically have an immutable model, which is the M part of MVU, mm-hmm. and then you have a view, which is the the V, and then you have what's called an update function. And that's kind of the the glue between the view and the the model. So every time a view um, an event happens in the view, you get an, a command that says you know someone clicked a button or someone changed some text, and you you in your update function you say okay this is the action that's happened here's my current model, and I'm going to give back a new version of that model based on the change that's just occurred. So that might be something as simple as um, a text box someone has typed in something and the model had the old version of the text. And whenever someone types in something, you're going to put in a new version, you're going to update the model to reflect that change that's happened. Or maybe you've hit a button and you've gone back to the server to load some data or back to a database, and then you're going to update the model when the, you get your data back from the database and then update the model, which is then pushed onto the in, into the view. And the real trick for MVU is that it, it hides the the nature of this mutable view for you. So it will do what's called a diff. So it will see the old version of the view, and then you send it a new version, and it will say, oh, I can see that actually 99% of the view is the same. The only thing that's updated is uh, the background color, and that's the change I'll make onto WPF, effectively.
0: If you're changing something in the in the view itself, how how do you know how to update or how to cre- create a new version of that model to reflect that change. So what happens normally is the, when you have uh,
1: so by, by, by a change, do you mean like a button click or someone's modified a text box or something right, like yeah. that? Yeah. So normally you'll just get an event that said, you know, um, this, this text box has changed or, or let's say it's, a, I don't know, customer name. So you might have an event in the system that says customer name updated. Here's the new value. Mm-hmm. and it's your job to then handle that event. So you might literally just say, well, for that event, I'm going to take the new value of the text box and generate a new version of the model. that takes the old one but makes this one change to it, and then I get a new version of the model. So you never mutate the model. What you do is you get the, the current version of the model, and then you create a copy of it with a change of, you know, the text has been updated or something like this.
0: Okay. I also heard F sharp is really good when it comes to parallelism. Um, is this something that you see a lot uh, being used a lot, like in in computation scenarios? You were talking about maybe banks or I is is this something you're using?
1: Yeah, we do use it, but um, I wouldn't say it's like um something that that I see every day, but it, when we do need to do something, it's pretty easy to do. So so normally the biggest uh, blocker to, to doing parallelism is uh, the idea that you've got mutable data. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to do several things at once and you're all you know, trying to get access to some critical region in code, you know, you have um, perhaps some, some unreliable... It can be that when you run the same code multiple times, depending on the order in which things execute, you might get different outcomes if you're relying on some mutable data. In f because everything is immutable by default, you can quite happily run stuff in parallel because you're only ever reading data and generating new values. So you kind of, for free, uh, can parallelize things. And that might be something as simple as um, maybe you've got 10 URLs you want to hit and get the data back from these 10 REST APIs, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you want to combine the results and give it, um, give the results in a list. So you can think of this in the old world that you may have said, or the old world, probably the wrong phrase. Um, let's say you're in C Sharp and you've got uh, a list, and you want to then, every time one of these things come back, you want to get the the list and then add an item to it. Well, if you're doing that in parallel, you might have a race condition there where two things try and connect to the list at the same time. Maybe the ad doesn't work. It's not thread safe sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in F sharp, that sort of goes away because you simply say, get all of these values and then give me a new list with the outcome of all of them combined as one. So it's kind of a slightly higher level of thinking uh, of working in that regard. You're not, thinking about, oh, I've, I've got one value back. I'm now going to put a lock on this list, add an item, unlock it, move on to the next one sort of thing. Um, you, you, it's more about saying what you want rather than how you want to achieve it.
0: Um, in my head, it's, it's somehow like uh, writing C-sharp without member variables. Yeah, yeah, to, to an extent. Like you, you have you have local variables everywhere, and, and that's uh, in, inside your functions. Oh, they, they don't even have to be variable. Is it somewhere like that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. You 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 may have member variables, but they'd be read only. Okay. Um, they would never change, so they'd be something that you pass in at the start of your object, mm-hmm. and they'd be there for for the for the lifetime of of the the, the object, as it were. But you'd never change them. Um, and even that is something that, that in F sharp you tend to avoid. Um, so one of the reasons why that is is, imagine you've um, created an object and you've passed in some data, and then you call a method on that object later on, you, perhaps you don't need to pass in any um, parameters to that method because it's implicitly using the hidden state inside the object to do whatever it needs to do. Okay. In, in F-sharp, you tend not to do that. Instead, you'll say, we'll pass in all the arguments to the function, and it will give back whatever it's, you know, it will operate on those, fu- on those values and give back some answer. And that makes it very clear. You can see immediately what those inputs to a function are and what the output is rather than, well, I'm calling this function and there's some hidden data behind the scenes that I can't see that it's using to define, to, to determine what it does. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
0: Is is there, is is there an overhead to this immutable way of life?
1: Um, Yeah, for sure there is. But in my experience, um, the cost of opening up a handle to a database and running a SQL query. Um, is like a million times more than, than, than working with immutable data. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the times when you do need you know if you've got a tight loop where you're, you're, you're doing something you know a million times and you're making a small change to an object, fine, then use mutable data for that sort of one case. The difference is that the, by default, you're working with immutable data. And then for the exceptional cases where you really need to to do your own thing because you're doing something that's performance critical, then you might use mutable data. But it's more much smaller scope rather than the standard way with, with mutable data flying everywhere.
0: I think I've done something like that in C++ also. Like I have a class and all the members are const and all the methods are const too. And there's like a method called add and it returns a new... Instance of the class, uh, and the mes- method add is const, which is unusual for for C plus plus, and it just returns a new object. Yeah. Right, right. So I guess it's possible to transfer that uh, approach to other other languages, but here it's just the natural way of doing things.
1: Exactly, and um, I think that's that's what some people ask me. You know about uh, you know. F-Sharp's got these features, but we're getting them all in C-Sharp anyway. You know, pattern matching is now in C-Sharp. You've got two pools in C-Sharp. C-Sharp 9 might have records. It might have um, discriminated unions, things like this. So so why would you bother with F-Sharp if C-Sharp is going to get all these features? And I sometimes say that there's kind of two reasons why. One is exactly what you've just said. In F-Sharp, it's like that's the default way of working. It's not so much that you've got now... um, Classes and discriminated unions, and which ones should I use? Or tuples in F#? It's pretty much 99% of code that you'll see out there are using just like immutable data, tuples, records, and unions, and it's it's very very simple in terms of most code is pretty consistent in that regard. So that's kind of the default way of working. Whereas I think in C# it's seen more as an additive feature, you're going to get records on top of, of classes. When should I use one or the other? Why should I use one or the other? And it's kind of more of a, I think, a bit of a cognitive overhead there. Yeah. And I, I wonder how C-sharp will actually look in a few years' time in terms of what the, will be considered you know, best practice C-sharp or what will be idiomatic C-sharp. I, I think that's quite interesting to think about and worry, wonder about. Also, I think one of the things that I like about F-sharp and People tend to only realize this when they've been in using F-Sharp for a while and then they go back to C-Sharp is actually what F-Sharp doesn't have that C-Sharp does have. So some of the things it doesn't have actually make your life a lot easier because it reduces the the, 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 the surface area of the language. So some things like in F-Sharp, you can't have overloaded functions mm-hmm. and you can't have um, implicit conversions. So you can't convert an int to a float implicitly you have to explicitly cast it across or convert it okay and you can't there are, there are no things like a protected either so you can't do like really complex um, class hierarchies and th- there's like dozens of these things that that in c sharp we take for granted but in f sharp they're simply not there and initially it's i think it's a bit difficult to to get over that loss of the, these features but in reality you gain some other things like um, type inference in F-sharp, which is super powerful, and it makes refactoring really, really easy. Um, but you can't have that feature unless you give up all these other ones in, 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 in C-sharp that you have today. So it's kind of a trade-off in a, in a way. You give up some features and you gain some other ones. But I think in, in C-sharp, it's seen more as we, we've, we're we adding more and more features to the language. and And I wonder how that will really end up looking like you know whether it's going to be something like scala where you have a huge number of different features or whether it's a bit more like kotlin which is quite a from what i've seen it's a a nice kind of blend of functional and object oriented
0: yeah also the like in c sharp you you have a really tight connection between data and the functionality to modify that data or to to work with the data and i i think in f sharp it's it's more separated you have functionality and then you have data
1: yeah that that's exactly right and um, i'm glad you're mentioning all these things because because i haven't so far but um yeah exactly right so in f sharp it's it's pretty simple you have a thing called a record which is just like a c sharp dto or a poco mm-hmm. so you just have data and then you have functions and typically a function will say give me a record i'll do something to it and then i'll give you back a new copy of that record or maybe a different type of record with a different shape. Sort of at its most fundamental, that, that's really what you have. There are some other types in FSharp like tuples and unions, but that's really in a nutshell what you'll do. You'll, you'll, you'll get some data, you'll push it through a function, or maybe several functions that will do things to it. So maybe you take a function that says uh, load a customer, and maybe then another one that says uh, validate the customer, and then another one that will say, convert the customer to a different type of customer and you'll push them all through this pipeline of functions and then you'll get the output at the end. But each of these functions does, does something very, very small and very simple, but you compose them together and then you get a nice big function that does something quite complicated.
0: Right. And, and C-sharp, you, sometimes you would do that. Like you write the, the POC classes, they don't have, they just have properties and and maybe you have a specific use for that, or that you're you're transferring data between two systems, or something like that. If you if somebody C sharp developer sees that class, he's like, oh, what is this? <laughs> where, where where is the functionality? And in F sharp, that's the normal approach.
1: Exactly. And um, I remember a sort of a uh, couple of projects I worked on in C sharp where I was writing stuff as, as um, with a lot of link, mm-hmm. and um, I, I think. Some people, we, we you can use Link in a couple of ways. Like one of one of the ways people tend to use it is I need to go and get something from the database. So I'll use Entity Framework or Link to SQL or something or Nhibernate maybe. I'll get the data and then I'll carry on with my normal way of working, you know, with, with, with methods and so on. Mm-hmm. But you can use Link for like running entire sort of chains of data flows and, and, and orchestrating your logic sort of thing. And I was doing a lot of that and um, this was like one of the moments when I sort of thought maybe the c-sharp I'm writing isn't so idiomatic anymore and I'd written this kind of long lengthy link um, expression of you know 10 or 12 different link operations you know select and then a group by and then another select and then an aggregate and then something else a where clause or something and someone else looked at it and they said you know I've been writing c-sharp for 10 years I don't know what this is doing, though. I don't know. This is not idiomatic C-sharp to me. This is Isaac C-sharp. And um, that was when I realized you know, maybe the code I'm writing or the, the code that I want to write doesn't necessarily fit well with what we consider idiomatic C-sharp. Maybe there's a different language that's a better fit for what I'm trying to do. And that was when I like, started spending more and more time looking at, at F-sharp. Because that kind of, if you, if you like Link and you like that idea and that safety that it gives you, then then FSharp is kind of a natural home for you because everything is written in that kind of style of of pipelines of data.
0: Yeah, I've had I've had the experience. You know, have you worked with reactive extensions?
1: Yes, yes, I have.
0: So it for those who haven't, it's it's uh, it looks like Link, and instead of pulling data uh, from from some resource that has data, um, you have these called observables. Uh, some, they just generate data. For example, they are events that come from, from somewhere outside. And then you can use like this link syntax to filter on that data or to to throttle it or to accumulate it or to, to merge different uh, observables together and I, introduced that into projects two times already. And both times, it was um, somehow when I left the project, either it was removed or it wasn't used anymore because uh, the the developers who were working on it afterwards, they were not expecting like this. Uh, maybe they were having a problem with the, with the application and then they thought it must be reactive extensions and then they removed it all and then it turned out it wasn't it's a probably a similar experience that this is something that's so different from how you approach things in C Sharp that it doesn't uh, work with every C Sharp developer.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um, and this again comes back to how I think um, C Sharp is going now, though, with with things like pattern matching mm-hmm. and records coming in as well, and this non nullable things. And uh, I, I I'm I'm interested to see how people will adopt these new features and whether they will replace the way that we're writing C Sharp today. Or whether it will be more like um, we'll use it for certain cases, but not so much, and we won't give up some of the other language features, or, or whether it will they 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 won't take off, or some teams will like them and some won't. Um, I find it kind of interesting, um, particularly when you look at some of the the the, the new features in C sharp, and and even some of the um the so the way that people kind of interact with them, with things like pattern matching. Um, I don't know if you've you've tried it with the the switch expression. I think it's called now. Yes. And, yeah. So um, the 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 nice thing about it is that it works as an expression um, rather than a statement, which is what you had with um, switch case. And that's often I think people overlook that. It the the syntax is way shorter with the switch expression, but that's not the real benefit. It's not the shorter syntax. It's the fact that you're working with an expression, which means that you you remove a whole class of bugs that you can't accidentally do something in one branch that you meant to do on a different variable, you kind of remove that mental overhead of having to assign data to the same variable in each branch. Instead of that, each branch returns a value and all of them unify to be assigned to a single value. That's really the strengths of of features like that. And if you sort of grok that and you appreciate that, that's probably um, one of the things that you would like about F-sharp is that everything works like that. Um, it Just removes whole classes of bugs, basically. And if I think more as um, a, someone now who runs a business and I've got developers working with me, one of the reasons why people, that we we tend to like working in F# now is that we have a lot more confidence about what we're doing. If I think about um, software development as more of a, you know, what what do we like about writing code? And for me personally, it's the that feel good factor when you deliver something to the customer and you can see you've made a difference and they've enjoyed what you've done and, and you've enjoyed delivering something good for them. And at the back of my mind, whenever I'm writing software, it's always that fear that I, I'm going to screw something up and I'm going to you know, leave a bug in there that, that's going to ruin the data or something. And um, the, the way that F-sharp tends to lead us to write code means that we have a lot more confidence that what we've done is the right thing, or at least what we've done is what we expect it to do. Whether it's the right thing that the customer wants is, of course, often a, a separate issue as well. And that's about how you've liaised with them. But we almost cut out one 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 part that can go wrong, which is that we tend to get the, the result that we expected to get. And the behavior of what we write does pretty much what we expect nearly all the time. So for me, emotionally, it kind of makes me a happier developer. Mm-hmm. Um, if if that makes sense, I, if, I think that's what most people enjoy about writing code is that that or well, what we don't like is at least the the feeling that, that we're nervous that what we're going to write isn't going to do what we think it does, and and I personally hate that, and and for me F Sharp just takes away a lot of that that feeling of uh, uncertainty.
0: That's a nice way to put it. Is there anything you can, any place you could lead people who want to get started with F Sharp or want, want to see um how how well well you mentioned your book that's probably a very good starting place for those coming from the c sharp world uh, yeah, any yeah. other resources to get help you get started and I can also link to those
1: yeah sure i will send you these links afterwards but the 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 best place to start is probably fsharp.org, which is like the official f sharp website mm-hmm. um and that's got a whole bunch of resources of of different sort of um applications of f case studies, um, testimonials, things like that. There's also the foundation, which is like um, a community-led, um, but with Microsoft, um, approach to, to running f as a sort of a community. They help things like founding meetups, sponsoring, and things like that. Um, and they also do a mentorship program. So, you can basically for free sign up and they'll put you alongside someone who's an experienced F sharp developer and they'll help you once a week for maybe an hour or so. Nice. Um, and that's, you know, runs like three or four times a year. There's a Slack cha- um, group as well. Uh, it's like f sharp mm-hmm. um, And There's a forum on the F sharp org where you can ask anything. And also on Twitter, like does hashtag F sharp and there's always people like happy to help and answer. I think that the f sharp community is um, suddenly before, when I came into it, it was very, very different to what I expected. Like as a, a sharp developer, the f sharp community is firstly, it was like very open source oriented, even before open source was like a, a good thing in Microsoft. Mm-hmm. So I'm going back like five years now, six years before Microsoft were really pushing open source as much as they are today. And I didn't know what GitHub was. I didn't know how to do a pull request. I didn't know um, how to do a branch. You know, I'd I'd never done Git before. And when I started using F-sharp, it was like, okay, um, Microsoft have obviously invested some money in the tooling and they've got a team but there were a lot of people that were trying to, to improve things and build like libraries and wrappers around a lot of C-sharp libraries that were made it a bit nicer in F-sharp. Mm-hmm. And it was all open source, and it was all in Git and, and GitHub, so I had to sort of learn that anyway. And that really surprised me at the time, how um, open the community was, how friendly it was. There are a lot of meetups. Um, particularly London had a really, has a really, really big meetup for, for F-sharp, and that helped me a lot as well. But nowadays, I think it's better than it's ever ever been to sort of try F# out now because it's like part of .NET Core. So if you've got .NET Core, you can like do .NET new console-lang F# and that's it. You're good to go, sort of thing. You don't have to install anything extra. Um, Visual Studio works out of the box with F#. There's an extension for Ionide, so if um, for VS Code. So if you like VS Code. Then there's an extension for F# for that. Uh, Rider supports F# out of the box as well. So like the main sort of IDs that .NET developers use, they they've all got F# covered as well. Um, So it's not as much of a as a you know I have to throw everything away that I've learned. If you want to try F# and you know .NET, all the libraries that you know will still work. the frameworks, you know, will still work. It's more just the way that you compose those things together will be a bit different and, and I think a bit more fun and a bit um, a bit more type safe as well.
0: Great. Thank you very much, Isaac. No worries. This has been another episode of DevTalk, and we'll see each other again in two weeks.
1: Bye-bye. Take care.